Hello to all pioneers, visionaries, and innovators. My name is Janice King. Welcome to Passioners Podcast, a podcast that tells stories of passionate people who inspire us, and hopefully you as well. If you enjoy listening to us, we appreciate you rating us and leaving a comment on the Apple Podcast. Today's episode is about Mr. Joe Puccio, co-founder of Corsicol, a website and mobile application that helps college students plan their class schedule and get into their classes by notifying them when a class they need has an available seat. Could you describe to us how you started programming? Um, from my research, I learned that you started programming to explore physics. What particular about physics intrigues you? Yeah, I, I originally explored physics and math specifically. Um, I think that I've always had a desire to understand how things work, whether it be like um, more recently biological systems, but earlier it was uh, physical systems. And physics is obviously kind of like the applied math in that regard of trying to actually understand how things work. And I think that I just had an interest from that um, because... Yeah, I think that every time I learned something new about when I was like in elementary school and learning about like I, I used to study um, cosmology and those kinds of things, just like reading about the universe and those kinds of things, it was it was always very interesting to me. So, um, yeah, I think I was mostly just trying to understand how things work. That's always what's been motivating in that regard. Were you always like kind of teaching yourself all of these things? So did you also teach yourself programming before coming to Carolina? Yeah, I think that honestly programming programming was it was it was mostly programming was mainly just so that I could help understand how things worked. It wasn't really like I wanted to learn programming just because um it was intrinsically interesting to learn because I think that I there's a there I draw kind of a distinction between something that's like man-made and not man-made and I'm not particularly interested in the man-made stuff like I don't really like learning new languages programming languages and those kinds of things but um but I do like learning everything else so for for me learning programming was more of just a means to an end a means to um to explore the physical systems that I was you know just playing around with um like specifically one of the things that I've talked about in the past was like um, modeling like a pendulum, like a double pendulum or like a ball bouncing out of a room. I would, I would like write code that would just like model that on the screen and, and use the very basic physical principles of like, uh, of like reflection and those kinds of things to, to calculate like the trajectory of the ball as it bounces around. I guess going off from that, is there a specific reason why you prefer to learn about a more natural things compared to man-made um, logic? I think that it, felt man-made stuff felt more arbitrary like i mean for instance you know you think about um people always talk about binary with computers like you that's just ones and zeros and and the basis for all these things like you could create a computer that's off of ternary which is not binary it's just like the base is three um and and there's there's no reason you couldn't do that so it's kind of like a it's it, it's it's more limited in that regard in terms of complexity because it was just like chosen what's for what's convenient for for humans to understand and use but um 
nature doesn't really work that way. It's it's more of like it almost feels infinitely complex and like, you know, there's there's similarities between we we kind of mimic nature in certain ways um, in, in the things that we build, but um, just the I think that there's something more beautiful and more cohesive about all the different things that that nature has made and and um, you know how you can uh, just find symmetry and similarities between two vastly different um, vastly different things on on different scales. So, you know, one could be macroscopic, like you know the, the fact that like um, water going down, water going down a hole makes the same like pattern as the shape of a galaxy or something like that. Like there's just, you know, there's that, that kind of, uh, symmetry I think is, is cool. That doesn't necessarily exist in, in man-made systems. Gotcha. So moving kind of more towards Corsico, could you describe us the beginning of Corsico, how you are inspired, um, to start, uh, the, at that time it was called class checker at that time and how, yeah. How did you make that frustration to gathering resources to create the website? Sure. Um, so when I was an incoming freshman at UNC, I spent like seven hours planning my class schedule. And then I finally went to register for my classes and I got into one out of the five I needed to take, um, which is a pretty common frustration for students. <laughs> and um, so I that night I started working on a program that would basically send me a screenshot of my shopping cart every 10 minutes to see if a class was open and um shopping cart is just like a kind of like a, a, a staging area where you put the classes you're interested in and then try to register for them when they're when you actually can and um and then i let some of my friends use it they got into their classes using it um and then one of them suggested opening up to other students and so we did that and uh after some initial hiccups we grew very quickly we had like 900 unc students the first semester and then 1800 the next and it just kept doubling um and then the, the following year my now co-founder tara she suggested solving the other part of registration which was really difficult which was the planning your class schedule part and so we created a website that made it much easier to search for classes like there wasn't that arbitrary um, 130 section limit every time you search for a class that unc had so it allowed browsing for classes uh, to be much easier um, and so we, we created a website to do that um, and then eventually added schedule planning so you could actually plan out a mock schedule visually, um, which is basically what, what the Corsica website is today. And then we were just at UNC for three years and then, um, and then eventually decided to expand to other schools, which is what we've done. And, and since then we've monetized, um, we've recharged for premium access so students can track one class for free or pay uh, $4.99 a semester for unlimited classes. And um, we're running entirely off of the revenue we generate from that at the 900 schools that we're at right now. Yeah, I have a few questions that go off from that. Is that, yeah. so just to kind of recap, so the class checker is kind of checking which classes are available, and then UNC Class Finder is the scheduling part. And then the, yeah. you didn't expand to other universities until you founded Corsica at 2015. Yes, that's correct. Yes, exactly. So we had so in the early days when it was just UNC, it was called Class Checker, and that was the the notifications part. And then the Class Finder was the the scheduling part, like you said. And then we merged them under the name Corsicle in around 2015, 2016, and that's exactly when we uh, started expanding to new schools. Gotcha. Yeah. So you said it grew really fast, and I'm pretty sure a lot of students were very interested in the service. 
But was it all just words of mouth, or did you have some kind of an advertisement promotions that you you did? Yeah,、um, it was it, it was very difficult to track how much was word of mouth and how much or how much was our our advertising efforts. I think the only thing that we did of any、um, of any substance was we like went to a couple of dorms one. Semester and like put flyers under each door in each from each person's room basically or even each suite,、um, but it was it's impossible to to know like how much that had an effect. I mean at that point we already had like I think a、uh, thousand users or something like that,、um, so it was it was pretty bound to spread that way. I think that one thing that kind of is potentially indicative is at other schools where we've grown, we've seen the same kind of growth. Usually it's doubling or so. Um, and and we haven't done any physical marketing or really any marketing at all at a lot of those schools. So I, I think it's it probably speaks to the fact that it it was mostly word of mouth growth. Going from that, you talked about how you generate revenues. Could you describe more in depth? Because when I use Corsica, I don't pay anything. So I thought, how do these guys make money? Sure. Um, yeah, so we、uh, allow so students to track、uh, classes. So that's the the class checker part, the notification part.、Um, and you can track one class for free、um, at a time, or you can pay four ninety nine to track unlimited classes at a time.、Uh, and that's a per semester. That's on a per semester basis. So you know, if you if you've never had to pay for Coursera or never even been prompted to pay, what probably is the case is maybe you've only used the website for planning your class schedule,、uh, which is completely free with no limits. Or you've you know maybe needed to get into one class or or something like that, and and you download the app and and tracked one class,、um, and then you know you you didn't need to do anything more than that. If you, and maybe what you might do, and a lot of students I, I think do this, is say they need to get into two or three classes, and they have the entire summer to try to get into them. They'll just track the first class.、Um, they'll wait until they get into it using the app, and then they'll untrack it and track the second class. You can do all of that without having to pay anything. That brings up another question. Is that I know a lot of bloggers make money by having advertisements on their website, and for Corsica, the audience is very specific, and a lot of students are using it. So, have you ever thought about having an advertisement in the website to generate more revenues? Yeah, we have thought about it.、Um, we even tried it for a time,、um, not on any of the primary pages, but what we call our course and professor pages, which is.、Um, Which is basically like a page for each course and professor at at each school,、um, and we have around two million of those. The thing was that it generated so little revenue. Like, I mean, it was maybe like ten thousand dollars a year compared to our our core business, which generates much more than that. That it we felt like it was it was more of a it, it detracted more from the aesthetics of the site than it added to us revenue wise. So we decided to just remove it and and just forfeit that revenue.、Um, You know, we could potentially have done direct ad sales to to companies that were interested in it, but I, I think for us,、um, you know, we we've we've kind of I think everybody wants every every company, or I think they should probably want to kind of rely be able to rely、uh, entirely on their own, like their own service and and students or, or or users paying for the exact for the service that they're providing, rather than like kind of this this add on thing, whether it's ads or 
uh, affiliates or anything like that, because then you're subject to a much larger market that you don't have much control over. So like, you know, maybe maybe there's um, Apple, for instance, pushes a new uh, update to iOS, which makes uh, advertising significantly more difficult or, 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 or you know, making, making money via advertising more difficult, then you're just gonna take a revenue cut. Whereas at least if you're giving the uh, service yourself or they're paying for the direct service that you're providing, then um, you're not subject to those things, which is something that my co-founder was, was very adamant about in the, in the beginning, which was, um, we did make some money, uh, you, you kind of mentioned this, um, via textbook sales. So we would put like the list of all the textbooks that you had to buy for each class and um, and we would make money through affiliate links through there. So you click on the link through Amazon and we would get a portion of whatever you bought. Um, but, uh, you know, Tara, she she was pretty insistent that like, that's it's not something we should really think about as our core business because it could it's subject to change. Amazon can change the terms of that deal at any time. Um, and, and actually a year later they did, they cut the, the amount of revenue that you'd make from it in half, which was, which would have been, you know, huge for us. Um, but fortunately by that point we were already looking to, to do direct sales. Oh, so I can see how, you know, working in team and working with your co-founder really, you know, brings the idea together. So how did you meet her and uh, yeah, how did you guys decide to start Corsicle together? Sure. Um, I met her in 2010 at a summer uh, science and math camp, um, which was run by the state Summer Ventures of Science and Math, and um, we were, became friends during the camp. And then she she went to Cary Academy, uh, a different high school than I went to um, in in North Carolina. And then we stayed we we stayed in touch, and then we actually started dating in senior year of high school, um, and. That's kind of why, and then she went. She went to Harvard, and while well, I was at UNC, but that's why we we stayed in touch. And then uh, she she would often help me with registration, and I would help her with her registration, um, uh, because it was always a stressful and, and kind of overwhelming process for for both of us, because there's so many classes, so many options, and and the consequences can be rather significant. Graduating on time and those kinds of things, um, and so we. That's kind of how we 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 it ended up being her who i started course school with is is because there was one specific time uh um i think it was it was my freshman year when she was helping me i was at harvard visiting her and, and she was helping me plan my class schedule and um she had the idea like you know you would i created some other site for some students that allowed you to just like browse through um like uh for sale items at UNC and she said like well can't we do the same thing for classes at UNC and and then that's what the the day we started working on on Corsicle. So another question that I had was that while you're building Corsicle and while you're building all of these websites at UNC you try to kind of not have your identity like be known to other people um, was there a specific reason do you think you're going to get trouble by the administration at UNC? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so when we first started, uh, after we had some traction, I was, you know, I, I think I, I think in a, in a very kind of catastrophic way, all right, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? And let's prepare for that kind of those kinds of scenarios. And um, I did research on other students to see if people had created something similar or just like, yeah, just in general to see if people created something similar. And some student at UCF, I think like maybe six months prior to us doing this, um, had created UCF, the University of Central Florida, 
um, created a, a website that did almost exactly what we did, although he did charge for it, which was which was one difference. And within like nine days, um, the university like figured out who he was and then shut it shut it down and suspended him. And then he had to like write a paper about what he did was wrong or those kinds of things, which was it's really just a it's, it's a real stifling of entrepreneurship, which was surprising and and obviously kind of scary because we were doing the exact same thing. So I think that story. Um, and just the flexibility involved with, you know, being able to be anonymous throughout the beginnings of core school. Uh, that was what, what motivated us to, to do that was just, you know, the fear that ITS uh, in, in UNC's case would, would shut us down and, and we would get, you know, academically penalized, um, which ended up not at all being the case. They ended up when, when they did find out it was us, I think it was because we approached them uh, at, at the insistence of the UNC uh, CS department and and they were incredibly supportive it was the exact opposite they um they actually started paying us for our time and those kinds of things so so it ended up being a very fruitful relationship but um it, it obviously you know depending on the university it could have gone the other way right um and so how did you get these data did you solely got it from you know connect carolina i don't know if you guys use the same system yeah so originally the the registrar at unc put out a pdf um, and we wrote a script that would extract all the information uh, from that PDF, which was, it's much harder to scrape a PDF than it is to scrape a, an, and the word scrape in, in this context means like to extract the data from. Um, it was much harder to scrape a PDF than it was to scrape like a website. Um, so we originally were doing scraping the, the PDF and then a couple of years later, uh, we figured out how to scrape Connect Carolina um, and we started scraping Connect Carolina. Um, but at this point, we actually get the data directly from UNC. Gotcha. So before I pass on to Mike, um, do you have any like funny stories, um, you know, building anonymously at UNC? I know that you try to track these classes at UNC by having like a thousand different classes um, in the server. Like, do you have any like couple of funny stories that you want to tell us? So, yeah, I mean, well, one thing is when we did approach ITS, that's relevant to what you just said. When we did approach ITS, they, um, you know, we said like, oh, we, we run this site, Class Checker, and, you know, it's, 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 you might not know who it is, it's us. And they were like, oh, we knew exactly who it was because they, they saw that, like, uh, you know, I had like 1500 classes in my shopping cart and they were like this, there's no one else who would, who would have this many classes. Um, they, they, I think they knew, they just knew that something was going on with me specifically because I had so many classes in my shopping cart. Um, cause that's what we would do is I would add the classes to my shopping cart or we had a program that would add them. Um, and then, and then my, we had a program that would basically just refresh my shopping cart page. Um, and it took like, I think 40 to 50 seconds for that page to actually reload. And every time we, it reloaded, it made a very long, like database connection basically to their, to their servers. And they noticed like something was taking a really long time. And so, so then they saw, okay, Joe Puccio, he's, you know, he's doing something on his computer. That's weird. Um, and so they were like, yeah, we, we, we knew something was, was going on because we, we'd seen these, like it had raised some red flags, like why is this taking so long, this person's page to refresh. Um, yeah, so the, there was that. I, I can't really think of, of any other specific funny stories right now. Though. Any yeah, time when you were like in class and people were like, who is this anonymous person? And you just... <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. There was, there was one time when I was... Um, 
like, I don't know if this, this, this breaks the honor code. It probably doesn't. But um, basically, I was, I was taking a databases final exam, which is like open computer. You're using your computer to take the exam. And then I got an email while I was taking the exam that said, like, you know, the website was down. The, the, the Corsica website was down. And so I, like, stopped taking the exam. And I was started, like, trying to fix Corsica during the final exam. Um, you know, I maybe only took me like 30 minutes and I ended up finishing the final fine. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was just, it, it showed where my priorities were that I was going to stop taking a final exam and start trying to fix core school. Uh, that's, that's really interesting. Honestly, when I was looking at your LinkedIn page, I saw that you're also the founder of six tractor and created SD paper. Could you describe yeah. these two projects and how you decided to start them? Yeah. Um, so. I'll start with Six Tracker. I think it might have come first. Um, so Six Tracker was a, a friend of mine, a semi-friend. He asked um, if there was some way that he could. Well, actually, he he was trying to get an iPhone six. So this was like 2015, I think. He knew I'd made Class Checker, and he wanted if if I could write a program that would notify him when like an iPhone six was available in an Apple store near him, and. Um, and so, or actually, I think it was originally a 5S. We tried to do it for a 5S. And like, then he tried to promote the website to other people, but it didn't go over anywhere. And then, um, which is actually really the first, it, it's, it's one thing, important thing is the persistence. Because the first time we tried to launch, I mentioned this briefly, the first time we tried to launch Class Checker, um, you know, we got like 30 people to download it the first semester and it felt like a major failure. And then we just persisted and the, the following semester, that's when we got the 900, um, the 900 original students. So uh, that persistence was key. So anyway, back to that, um, I, I wrote the program, he tried to promote it. Uh, maybe we got like 30 people or something like that. It was on the order of less than a hundred. And then. He, the iPhone 6 came out and he wanted me to do the same thing for the iPhone 6. And I think I was due for an upgrade for a phone. So I decided to, to do it because I wanted a phone myself. Um, and then and then that grew a lot. Like we had like uh, featured on some tech news sites like Engadget and it got like 60,000 people um, to use that in like three weeks or something. Um, so that was six tracker. It would just notify you when an iPhone was available for pickup in an Apple store near, near you, um, within a couple of miles. And then Esta paper was, um, something that was born out of something I've done since middle school, which is anytime I feel like a pain point, uh, or I just have like an idea for something that could be a product or, or even just something that like moves me or, or, or like, you know, an advertisement that I think is really good, those kinds of things, I'll, I'll write it down in this, in this document. And, um, and uh, I think that I was procrastinating writing a paper and I was like looking through the document and, I, and one of them was like, you know, a, a website that would just estimate how long it would take you to write your paper. Um, just, I guess, so you can kind of get a sense for like how long the pain will last because writing a paper is always kind of painful. Um, and so, uh, I just wrote this website that like, I just looked up a lot of, a lot of statistics for like, what's the average, uh, words per minute that people type when they're co actually composing new content. I think it's like 18 words per minute or something like that. And, and, and kind of extrapolated based on, based on that for, to give you like silly and, and potentially some, some people actually say helpful statistics on how long it'll actually take you to finish a paper and how many like sources you should have and references and, and those kinds of things. Um, and that I think still get that that's gotten like, I think maybe 400,000 people have visited it since I created it in 2015. Um, mostly college students, uh, funny enough. Um, uh, 
uh, yeah, so those are those two projects. That's amazing. What are other features that Corsica was planning on creating this year? Yeah, so um, one thing that's currently in the pipeline, the definitely immediate pipeline, is um, on the iOS and Android app, we're going to have a schedule view. So you can actually see your class schedule like laid out. Uh, previously, we didn't have that. Um, we uh, also just launched the ability for you to pair your phone with your computer so that you can like have the same schedule on both and, and actually kind of start to plan a schedule on your on the iOS and Android app. Um, so so that's that's kind of like the, the super near term. Uh, the longer term that could potentially happen this year is we've been playing around with the idea of like um, connecting students who are in the same class uh, because you know we already uh, kind of have a lot of this data like who's taking what classes uh, each semester and we were thinking of probably creating something that's like a it's kind of like Piazza or, or Sakai or Blackboard like a, a LMS but this is something that's like not controlled by the professor or the university but something that's completely external um, because one thing we the specific motivation or one of the motivations behind this was we thought Okay, the, especially in STEM classes from, from what we've seen, like people will post on these things asking like a, a good question, a TA or a professor, or another smart student in the class will answer it. And then um, and then at the end of the semester, all that information gets just wiped completely. Um, and the next the next semester, uh, the, the students can't, you know, benefit from from all those good questions and, and the thoughtful answers that the TAs and, and the, the students wrote. Um, and so what we thought was, well, why that should that should persist, that information should persist. So what we thought was we could make something that's kind of like a Reddit style um, uh, forum, but we because we have this structured data of what class at what university is being taught, we just create a kind of like a, a a subreddit for every single class at every single university and then you know the students will kind of like kind of push students to those pages um, after they've registered for classes because um, we know which classes you're in so you know talk to other people in bio 101 um, and maybe we would you know have like organized potentially by section or maybe not by section or just everybody who's in bio 101 um, and and then um, and then people will just be able to ask questions and, and and get answers. Now, one of the things that we want to be very careful here is um, is academic honesty, because a lot of the sites that do anything that just connect students in any way, whether it's um, or, or really anything that's it's kind of for during the semester kind of thing, uh, there's there's certainly the potential for people to upload tests, to upload quit like answered quizzes and those kinds of things. And that's something that we we don't want to get involved in at all. Uh, I mean, we, we see other companies get involved with that. And, um, you know, we have a very good relationship with, with the universities, the academic staff at the universities, and we don't want to jeopardize that. So trying to navigate that potential for cheating is um, is something we, we still want to try to figure out a little bit more of. But we think that the potential for the product is there. Yeah, like I use Corsica, so I could definitely see myself using all those new features that you want to add on. It'd be yeah. very helpful. Something I realized is you maintain the equal gender balance on your team of engineers. How many employees do you have, and what is the reason why you are setting up, uh, you are set up maintaining this balance? Yeah, so we we're just four full-time employees uh, with an equal gender balance right now. The reason why we're interested in maintaining that is is one thing we see a lot of larger tech companies. Um, they they 
they're trying to correct the the current imbalance uh, of of gender in their specifically just their entire organization, but especially the the engineering roles and managerial roles. And it's it's difficult to correct once you've already made it to the point where it's like 80% men and 20% women. Um, and so what we what we think is important is to start as early as possible. We, you know, when we're growing out the team, we want to we want to start at, at that point. Um, and and we think it's important to us one because it's just like uh, we think it's 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 something that um, it's something that you have to you have to actually like make a lot of effort for. Like even when we we opened up uh, applications for internships at Core School, we we had an amazing response. Like I think it was it was like the first summer internship we had, we had like 1,400 people apply for our internship, um, and we we only got two people. Only two people were accepted. Um, but you know, there was, I think it was like 70% or so were men. Um, and so we think that we need to, we need to like kind of aggressively, um, uh, account for the difference there, which is, is partly just because there's, there's more computer science majors that are men than women. Um, and, and we think it's important because one, we just think it's the right thing to do to have an equal gender balance, like be representative of, of the population. Another thing is like the majority of, of core school users are women, like 60% of core school users are women. Um, and we think it's, 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 it's silly to not be representative of our user base. Um, uh, and, and, and yeah, so that those are the, those are some of the reasons why. Um, and we, and we think that we're kind of in a, in a, in a somewhat of a better position to do it because we were started by um, two uh, a, a man and a woman who are, are both technical and and, and like it, it seems it seems wrong to kind of deviate from that um, given given that Tara and I started the company. Yeah, that's amazing. And I'm gonna just ask a couple last questions to wrap it up, and these are gonna be UNC related questions. So okay. just to start it off, what is your most cherished UNC memory that you have? It's more of like a blur, I guess. I think one of the things I liked was I, I lived in Connor freshman year. And um, oh, honestly, I think the, the first one, which may not be super surprising, is I remember starting the class checker in my dorm room in Connor freshman year. And that was like so exciting. That was that was a very cherished memory. And it wasn't just like the specific moment, but it was just this feeling of having um, the person I was working with on it the most, Lee, um, at the time, before Tara joined, um, I was working on it with Lee and, and him over, you know, on the weekends, like working out bugs on the website or, or going through the users who had submitted and, and making sure that all of their classes were correct and those kinds of things. Like those early days of starting it when, uh, you know, maybe we had like less than 100 users, but we were getting like 10 users every day and that was like going to 20 and 30 like that. Those moments were very exciting and just having my friends over and you know, we would like play video games and then we, you know, we would see how many users we had at that time. And then like everyone would take turns, like entering them into the database manually, which is what we had to do at the time. And I think that that was a, that was a very um, cherished memory of UNC. And that's probably the most, the, the most, um, before things got like real and actually stressful and like having to deal with growing pains and those kinds of things. I think that was, that was the most exciting thing. Um, uh, and then, but you know, non-course school related, it was it was similar. It was probably like living in Connor and going to the what was at the time twenty four seven Wendy's uh, for like you know uh, um, uh, a frosty at like three in the morning. That was that was definitely a, doing that you know every weekend with with my friends was always very nice. Yeah, honestly, that would be nice. Like right here this <laughs> semester, Wendy's is closed like at eight p.m. or something like that, and oh, like gosh. I don't know. 
like, everything just closes so fast. But, yeah. Like, we hear the story of how it used to be before COVID, and I just sound so much fun. Can't yeah. wait until it comes back. Yeah. Uh, one another question I have is which professors or mentors impacted you the most in your journey at UNC? Let's see. So I I really liked um, Mike Ryder. He was the he was the security professor. So like cybersecurity basically professor at UNC. Um, he was just I always felt like he was on borrowed time at UNC. He was too good of a professor to be teaching at UNC. He 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 came from. Um, he, he was from, I think he was from North Carolina or maybe he wasn't from North Carolina, but he went to school at UNC and then he went to Carnegie Mellon and did cybersecurity research there and like was involved with, I think, um, I forget exactly what the name of, um, oh, it was, I think it was Bell Labs, like very early internet stuff. Um, and he just was involved with a lot of early internet stuff and just a brilliant guy, good teacher, um, also one thing I really liked specifically about him was, and this is what I think is in general is a very good teaching style, is like you don't you don't try to like coddle your students. You try to you like you 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 give them like work that they probably don't even think that they can actually get done, or like really hard stuff that they don't even think they can get done, and then and then they they surprise themselves and you like when actually getting them getting it done and and he was very much that that style of professor and there ha there weren't that many people um that many teachers i had at unc that that did that um and so so he he was one of them um uh, other he, let me see other favorite professors which was mostly just teaching style uh somewhat was uh adria sani he was a math professor at unc i i, I double majored in math and computer science and um my freshman year, I I had finished a decent number of math classes in high school, uh, like Cal 3 and and uh, discrete math. And so I was like, you know, wasn't sure what to start with at UNC. And I, I chose Math 521, which was advanced calculus. So I thought, all right, it's just a continuation of, of calculus, basically. But it was apparently it's, it's basically real analysis, which is the class that everyone waits until senior year to take when they're when they're um, when they're a math major because it's so hard, but I did not know that going in. Um, so I was the only freshman in the class. I think there was there wasn't even a sophomore in the class. I think it was just me as the only freshman, um, which was a little bit weird at first. But I really loved like I I absolutely loved that class because it was incredibly challenging. Um, I spent like ten hours p setting with my friends like every week at least, um, and and definitely learned a lot. And I, I liked that. Uh, that he also had a similar thing to Mike Ryder where he he did not throw you like I mean the average on those tests was like a 50 um but uh but overall it was it was that was a good experience I think that part of part of every class or every my perspective of every teacher is is marred at least somewhat by how much I like the content and I happen to like cybersecurity and and uh real analysis a lot so uh that definitely uh, definitely tinges my my lens there yeah, I remember the first semester of my freshman year, I was taking a, a 500 level course too. And like, yeah. apparently I got in by accident since I wasn't <laughs> supposed to be able to take it. Yeah. And like, I was the only freshman there and that like, I, I was like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, it worked out at the end, but it was just interesting. Like seeing everyone else a bit older than you. And like, whenever yeah. you would have a group assignment there, they would ask, hey, uh, what grade are you guys in? And yeah. I'd be the only one saying I'm a freshman. And then they kind of like, 
just look at me for a second. But it was, it was funny. No, that's good. I think I think it's a, I think it's a very good experience to kind of like I mean, in your case, accidentally, and in my case, accidentally, just be pushed into the deep end without even knowing you're in the deep end, and then you just you know you just swim faster. Like it, it's you're we're all capable of it, but it's nice to to have that experience. I think. Yeah, for sure. For you, like when you say good classes, like most people, like most students, they say, oh, I have good class. That means like easy class, easy A's. But for you, it's more like challenging classes. Like although I make it 50 on this exam, but I'm learning something like super challenging that I can piece out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I I definitely, because I value learning so much, um, I think that that just goes above all. Like that's that's the other thing that, that happened in that class a lot was um, – people would just give up on the homeworks and they would just like look up the answer in the back of the book or something, which, or, or they look it up online. And then I think the professor even said that that was like generally okay, as long as you understood what you were putting down. Cause some of it was just like very, it would, you know, you might, you might actually spend, there might be three problems on the homework for that week. And it might take you like eight hours to figure out just one of them. Um, so it was just an inordinate amount of time. I mean, this is, this is as, as, as hard as it gets really when you're trying to figure stuff out. And because um, all of this was a proof-based class, so you were just writing proofs from scratch for things that were, you know, like rather complicated. Like you're proving, like you know, um, that certain functions are infinitely continuous and those kinds of things. And you're proving like aspects of the real number line and those kinds of things. Um, the, the, the famous one is that like prove that the square root of two is is irrational. Like how do you actually prove that? That's that's a rather simple one, but um, but those kinds of things and. And for me, I always found more value, like just not giving up. I would rather just put a completely incomplete answer or like, or, or just put nothing than to actually look something up in the end. So, you know, I had like a lower homework grade because of that, but the, the, the grades just did not matter to me. And that's one thing that always kind of bothered me specifically about UNC students. And I contrasted a lot with, with Harvard students when I would talk to Tara's friends is, for 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 Harvard students, they would really talk a lot about like, um, you know, this class is hard, or like I'm struggling with these kinds of things, or I, I you know, I, I I made it through this homework, I made it through this test. Whereas UNC, they would talk a lot about grades. Like it was it wasn't just like this class was hard. It was like, oh, you know, I got a low grade on this class, and those kinds of things. And and to me, that was just like one step removed from what what everyone should be caring about, which is like, you know, are you learning and um. You know, basically, it's like, are you learning and are you passing? That's that's what should should probably matter. Um, and and are you doing your best? Which which I think was always kind of something that was uh, a little off that that I didn't really love about UNC. Gotcha. So, was there a specific reason why you like went to UNC, like picked UNC, and decided to not transfer to other universities? Because one thing that kind of caught, um, I know that a lot of UNC students are listening, is that. Like you said that your favorite professor was too good of a professor to be teaching at UNC. Yeah, uh, for for me, I mean, so the thing was UNC was the only school I got into. I applied to like 14 colleges and UNC was the only one I was accepted to. Um, and and so, you know, I didn't actually have a choice but to go to UNC for the most part as I did want to go to college. Um, I did look briefly at transferring, but honestly, the the fact that I was getting rejected from the first place from a lot of these colleges meant I had even less of a chance of, tra of transferring into them. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, it was it was mostly me not having a choice, I think. Um, but I, I certainly made the most of it, even if it, even if I wasn't finding a lot of value in my 
I did find some value in the education that I got for sure, especially certain classes like the ones I talked about. Um, but I, I found more value and also created a job for myself post-graduation in course school, which I don't think I necessarily, like I wouldn't have had that same pain point if I went to another school. Like at Harvard, everybody gets into all of their classes because they have the resources to just like add more seats to the classes or they just do a completely different system. Um, and and I wouldn't have had that pain point if I didn't go to like probably a larger state school or as much of a severe pain point to create Corsicle. And I probably also wouldn't have had the time. I mean, um, like Tara was majoring in math and physics, which I would have been probably doing math and computer science if I, if I went to a different school. And and I mean, the amount of work she did every week was just I mean, she, you know, it would, it would often be like she every time she, there was there was two she always wanted to get like seven hours of sleep, but there were two classes that had homeworks on the same day. It was a math and physics class. And every single night she had to pull an all nighter to get it done. Like every single, every single uh, day of the week that that happened, it was like every Tuesday or something. She had to pull an all nighter to actually work through it with other people. Um, would not have had the time probably to, to start course school if, if I had to do that every week. And, and then also fill every other uh, day with working until 11 PM. Gotcha. And so, like, since you're so advanced, did you kind of skip a lot of computer science classes? Because you briefly talked about data science class. And I just feel like now that I finished the class, like for you who are building this website, wasn't that class like just way too easy for you if you had to take that class? Um, yeah, I mean, that was another that was another thing that I really didn't like about UNC was uh, so when I the class, one of the classes that I wanted to get into freshman year was called Comp 401, which was like the intro to computer science for people who um, had done some programming prior to coming to UNC. And um, and so I tried to get into the class. I emailed the chair of the department. I said, like, you know, I've done these kinds of things. I've done programming before. And 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 I think I went to an academic advisor and she said, like, you should just take Comp 116 and just get the easy A because and I was like, you know, I don't want the easy A. I want to actually um, I want to actually like learn rather than just like sit in a class and, 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 and get the homeworks really easily and stuff like that. Um, and so I went to the class and then the professor was like, this is a mouse and this is a keyboard. If you've used these things before, this is the class for you or basically like that. Or if it, he, he almost said that, but he basically said like, if you have any programming experience at all, then you should not be in this class. And I did have programming experience. So uh, to me, it was frustrating to see that like, and then I emailed the chair at that point, and, and he was like, you know, if you can't get into Comp 401, you're just going to have to take 116. I don't know if he said the same thing about the EZA, but uh, definitely the advisor did. And um, and that was, you know, that was kind of a, a frustrating point for me. Um, and in Comp 401, I definitely did learn some stuff in Comp 401, but it was also a rather easy class um, for me. Like, you know, that was, that was something that was frustrating about, um, I guess, one was the again the attitude and it pervaded not just the students but also obviously the, the academic advisors potentially the professors as well um that people only care about getting the eza which i certainly did not and then um the other thing was that the the program at unc it wasn't it wasn't such that i could just skip comp 401 and just start taking another class or like skip 116 or, or whatever like um I basically had to take Comp 401 before I took other computer science classes. And so, so until I could get into the class, I was stuck. And that that lack of lenience, um, I think, was was frustrating. And and um, if I went to uh, like at at least at, at Harvard, I don't think they have that same kind of 
um, that same kind of uh, strictness. And and I, I mean, I, I made it through, but um, that, that was another downside. Oh, that's that's crazy. What's called, uh, I'll wrap up with one final question. And basically, it would just be, what advice would you offer any students or entrepreneurs? Like, it could either be an academic advice or it could be advice, like, on how to start a company or something like that. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think that um, there's two pieces. One, both of which I've touched on. One is being persistent. Like, if you really think that you should, you you know, you guys at some point had the idea for this podcast. And at some point, um, you you know, there was, there's always like a thousand reasons to be like, all right, well, I have to buy like an expensive microphone and all these other kinds of things. Um, but you decided to keep doing it and, and, and reaching out for interviews and those kinds of things like that kind of persistence is, is very important to get in, getting anything off the ground. So, um, you can't just be dissuaded, especially if you think, I mean, there were times for, for class checker in the beginning when we first only got those 30 users and I was very distraught and it was very upsetting. But then the next semester, you know, you just kind of like get used to it over time. And then like three, two months later, registration was happening again and, and we tried it again and, and it actually worked that time. So like, even though you're incredibly distraught, you just, you just don't give up on, on that kind of stuff um, because you might be successful the next time. And then, um, and there was another time much later when we were trying to expand to other schools. Uh, this is funny, but very sad story, um, which was Tara and I were uh, flyering NYU and uh, NY, going around Washington Square Park, flyering NYU, trying to get students to use course school there. Um, and this is one of the first schools that we we're trying to expand to. And like, you know, we'd spent like three hours putting up flyers. We'd come back to the dorm and someone had like ripped it down and like we checked our user stats and there was like two people that had used used the app at NYU that day after spending like three hours flyering and those kinds of things. And and um and Tara and I just like started crying in Washington Square Park. And then like a student walked up and, and saw probably because we were crying and that was probably weird, but to just be crying in public like that. And he saw like the flyers in Tara's hand. Um, and he was like, what's that? And, and, you know, we explained course school to him through like, you know, through our tears and, and he's like, oh, that's really cool. Can I have one? And so he took one, maybe just to make us feel better, but it kind of seemed weird that like no one seemed interested. And then as we were crying and feeling very distraught, some guy walked by and, 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 and was actually interested. And it was kind of like a comical moment, but it, it, it was like, you know, a sign to, to, to keep going, to, to persist because, you know, once you get through to people, it might actually be valuable. And now we have like, you know, 3000 people at NYU who use Corsical. Um, and so so that persistence is a, a key part and the other thing i wanted to mention was um was uh, a, a kind of obsessive note i'm an obsessive note taker like not just not for classes although also for classes but um like just of everything in life so for me when i have those pain points and those kinds of things i i document every single one of them uh, that i think is significant and and that just having your especially when you're feeling the pain or whatever, when you, when you write down like, okay, I think that a product that did this would really solve this pain. I think other people have this problem. Um, just writing everything you can about it at the time. And then like, when you are like, you know, I'm bored, what can I work on or what can I do? Um, going through that list. And like, most of them are going to suck. Most of them would be like, I don't know what I was thinking. That's not going to, that's not valuable to anybody. Uh, you were feeling at the time, but, it, but then like, you know, maybe, after three years, like you go through and maybe like three of them are actually still, you think, oh, wow, this actually really could be valuable. And then you start working on one of them. So uh, I think that uh, just writing that stuff down rather than just, you know, 
don't make a mental note, make a physical note, because you can never reproduce exactly how you're going to feel in that time unless you maybe write something down or, or unless you have a significantly better memory than me. But yeah, I think just taking notes on that would be helpful. Yeah. Um, I guess I have one final question to close is that sure. you distinguish like the UNC students kind of more focused on grades and then Harvard students, you know, more focused on the content and the learning aspects. Um, do you think that comes kind of stems from obviously the people who get into Harvard are maybe more learning driven? Um, but do you think that's also because like you when you graduate from Harvard, like you have that prestige. So grades yeah. don't matter as much as if you're coming from uh, maybe like a state school or maybe a yeah. little schools. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's definitely a, I think that's definitely a factor. Although I, I, I wasn't impressed and surprised like people outside of North Carolina, definitely see UNC as like a, a rather reputable school. Um, Cause it's in part so hard to get into to UNC from out of mm-hmm. state. I think that part of it is is um, certainly like it's a luxury that they have that, that that UNC students don't because it's it's easier to get someone's attention if they see a Harvard resume going across their desk. Um, but I also think that part of it is just like part of it is is a cultural thing. Like I think that um, it's something that uh, that that could be changed at UNC, and I think that UNC would probably be better off for it. The students would be better off for it rather than you know comparing grades instead. Like you know just saying like oh instead of saying like oh, I got a 50 on this exam, you'd be like, just saying stuff like, you know, I didn't do very well on the exam, and, uh, but I spent like, you know, 12 hours studying for it or something like that. Like just kind of making the, making the, I think it's it's really just a matter of like what you choose to value and, and changing the culture of UNC is going to be very difficult, especially considering the student population cycles through every four years, but um, like changing what they value to be like, um, like learning a bunch and like fully understanding content rather than this number that you get at the end that indicates, you know, something, but it might not indicate like how much you fully understand it. Um, so I think that that kind of cultural change, I think would be valuable. And I, you know, and one way you can do that is like, um, at least in the way I practiced it was I showed to other people that like, I didn't really care about getting less than a hundred on this homework. What I cared about was like, did we do everything we could to solve the problem? And if we didn't, and, and if we couldn't solve it, then I just left it blank. Like just, you know, that that was, I think, a testament. Uh, and if other people see that, maybe they'll be more comfortable doing it. But um, but yeah, I think that that's, that's a good question, what the differences are. And, and I, I can only really pause it as to what they are. Gotcha. So when you leave it blank, did you not have fear of like, oh, if I don't get good grades and then graduate, I won't get a job. I won't be able to feed myself. I think that's, yeah. why, I think that's why people cheat. Like they want good grades so that they can yeah. get jobs. Right. Yeah. No, I think that that's the case. Although I, yeah. I mean, I think that, I think yeah. that the most people, okay, I'm pretty, I can pretty confidently say at least most people coming out of UNC, they're not going to graduate school. They're probably going into industry in some way. Right. right? So that at least the majority are not going to grad school. I think graduate school, the grades matter a lot more for graduate school. I think that they're, you know, it's, it's much more narrow focused. I think the grades, the GPA, I think, I mean, I didn't put GPA on my resume and like, I don't think anybody even asked me for it when I was applying to internships or jobs, maybe a couple of places, but like, I think most, most people, um, depending on what you're, what you're majoring. And I think at least to some extent, like they don't, they don't particularly care about the GPA. Like, um, I think at least for me, one thing that mattered much more to people than my GPA when I was applying to internships and jobs 
was like all the other stuff that I had done. Like I, I put class checker in my resume, put other things on my resume. Like you could put the podcast on your resume, for instance. And, and I think that those things, um, they show initiative in ways that, that like a GPA, it's, it's, it's much less, um, it's much, it's, it's harder to, I mean, it's like a quantifiable measure, but like, it's hard to know, like, well, you know, maybe, maybe you took only easy classes and those kinds of things. Like it's, it's difficult to know exactly what that means, but you know, people can kind of, understand because it's all a relative scale but at least like people can kind of understand like you know there's some minimal thing for like making a podcast and doing 50 episodes like that is a that is a quite a lot of work and like publishing it and having high production quality and those kinds of things like that that shows effort and coordination and communication skills that you know that are never going to be communicated via uh you know a 4.0 on the resume and the other thing is like you know that 4.0 in the resume like you know yeah there's like 300 other students in their res in their in the resume pile that have the, the exact same number so like that kind of just fades away and it doesn't become an important measure so um i mean i i, th I don't i don't think i'm also obviously in a privileged position to be able to say like you know i i don't need to care about grades like a lot of other people absolutely like they you know they need to do they want to do everything they can to make sure they get a job like i i i i kind of was pretty confident partly because of the industry I was in, like, I would be able to get a job, even if it wasn't the best job, if I, you know, didn't do super well and get a 4.0 in college. So I'm definitely in a privileged position to say that. So just wanted to, to say that. Thank you so much. I, I just loved how like uncensored and like just so practical your answers were. Um, it's like no bullshit, just like what you think, you say it. And I, I love that. I really that's did. Good. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah, that's 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 what I was going for. I'm glad that came across. But I mean, I don't think there's there's no other way to live. Like, what's the point of just putting up a facade? Like, just tell people who you are. If they don't like you, then that's that. Yeah, honestly, yeah. I felt like I learned a lot, like from your mentality and the way you see the world. I, I definitely am going to take a lot of notes from this because it feels like a good way to live life. Like at the end of the day, you know, it'll be most, more helpful knowing how to do something than having the grade. And I feel like a lot of people can learn from that. Well, thank you for being on our show today. Honestly, it was an honor to have you and very insightful. I could tell that Mr. Puccio is an engineer and not a businessman. There is nothing inherently good or bad in either, it's just a statement. He doesn't use superfluous jargon to present Corsical, doesn't shy away from money-related questions, and doesn't try to paint UNC better than his experience. He is straight to the point and very honest. We had a chat after the official interview. Okay, yeah. If you if you have any other questions, um, if, if, is there anything you guys wanted to ask or, or for me to talk about, like, you know, kind of off the record? I told him about my school journey, how I was quite great focused in my high school, and my current desire, effort, and struggle to move away from that. We did this interview a month ago. Re-listening to the episode several times, I was quite surprised how my perceptions changed in the short one-month period. It is all thanks to the influence of Mr. Puccio and other entrepreneurs that I've talked to through this podcast. Their influence paired up with my strong desire to change is surely re-engineering my brain. What shifted my mindset was living a more entrepreneurial or employer mindset than an employee. If you're a student who is doing things to put them on a resume in the hopes of impressing a recruiter, that's an employee mindset. 
If you're doing things to interest you, energize you, motivate you, and without the desire to show them to others, I would say that's an employer mindset. Recently, I've talked to a mentor of mine, and he encouraged me to put this podcast work in my resume. Then I thought, oh, that's a little weird. I've never quite thought about that because I wasn't doing this to put on a resume. If you're unsure of what energizes you, until this point you lived a life that you thought was laid out for you, and that future layout doesn't excite you, I would encourage you to pause. Stop what you're doing and reflect. If you're complaining about some aspects of your life because you think you quote unquote have to do them, pause to realize that you don't have to do anything. It's your life, it's your choice. It was also your choice to complain. If you're staying busy to stay productive, pause. Staying busy may be a form of procrastination on what you really need to do. Don't live a busy life. Live a purposeful life. I say all of these from my experience because I have done them countless times in my life. If these questions overwhelm you, confuse you, it's okay. Embrace those emotions and use them as fuels to move forward. It will take time. Remember to be kind and patient with yourself. about Mr. Puccio and other passioners we have interviewed in this podcast and to see behind the scenes of how we create each of our episodes, follow our Instagram at Passioners Podcast. Thanks, Mr. Puccio, for sharing your honest insights. This episode is researched, edited, and produced by Janice Kang. The episode art is by Amar Rahik. Social media photos and descriptions are by Claire Hems. We use original music by Chiazo Ajila. The interview was conducted by Mike Garcia and me. Next episode, Mike, Claire, and I interview Alex Brandwine, founder of Brandwine's Bagel. Passioners Podcast tells the stories of passioners and their journeys. My name is Janice Kang. Thanks a lot for listening.